Hey guys, thank you for watching online all over the world. We are honored that you would watch LifePoint Church Services. Our mission statement around here is pointing people to a Christ-centered life, and we want to hear how that's happening through these sermons. So we would love for you to reach out to us through Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and tell us how God is moving in your life. Also, if you're a part of this service, but, but you're not close to a local campus, we want to help you get connected to a local body. Please reach out to us, and we will recommend some great churches in your area for you to be a part of. Again, thank you for being a part of LifePoint Church Online, and we hope God blesses you. So Romans 12, verse 1, says this. I, I, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. Someone dropped the rock. You weren't throwing it at me, were you? Sorry if that was embarrassing. I I apologize. Uh, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. All right, let's stop there for a minute, because when we come to that phrase, living sacrifice, what goes through your mind? Like this, this whole ordeal, this living sacrifice, this is all like alien to us. This is all foreign to us. This is all like a, another world to us in reality. Uh, but what we'll see is it's very cultural and we'll talk through this. But essentially what, what Paul is trying to say here is that Christianity is not merely a costless addition to life. It's not just pray a prayer, get baptized, Come to church on Sunday for an hour. Uh, tip, uh, uh, tip God. It's it's not just this costless additional life. It's not what it is. He's saying that Christianity is everything. It's all of you. It requires all of you. It, it, it and it costs everything. And and Paul th- th- that costless additional life, that cultural, uh, casual Christianity. Uh, Paul wouldn't even call this anywhere close to biblical Christianity. And so he's preaching a gospel here of total commitment to the Lord, uh, based on his mercies, based on his grace, based on all he's done for us, which we'll talk through. But he's saying Christianity is not just a half-hearted commitment. It requires all of us. It is a a total wholesale uh, commitment to the Lord. And this is a this is a huge message for our American culture because a lot of the church culture in America is this casual culture. I think we are moving out of it with a lot of the dividing lines of uh, some of the political different, d- d- uh, you know, uh, gender, uh, different sexual uh, morality type of things throughout the scripture. So it's creating this, bottom, this dividing line in a lot of ways. Uh, but ultimately, there's still this casual cultural Christianity and a lot of, uh, especially the Bible about that is just not biblical Christianity. And Paul is saying, man, it's not, uh, it, it's not casual. It's not a half-hearted commitment. It demands your all. It demands everything. And that's what we're going to see here, that, 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 that we can't be a people that just want the hand of God, like the blessings, the benefit, but not any cost to us. We want the hand of God, but we want the face of God. We want the presence of God. We don't want him to change our lives, right? We want Jesus to save our souls, but we don't want him messing up our routines. 
right? And that's the casual cultural Christianity that we have to fight off a lot of times. And, and we're going to see Paul talking here that, that, that biblical Christianity is a total surrender of our lives, and which is why our bottom line for today is, and, and we'll be walking through this throughout this passage, but it is his mercy demands total commitment. Uh, his mercy demands total commitment. Now, Paul, for the past 11 chapters of Romans, we've preached through all 11 of those chapters. You can go back online and, and, and read those. Uh, and, uh, but he has been teaching about theology, all the doctrines of salvation, doctrines of man, doctrines of sin. He's been teaching all of these theological principles, very like uh, required a lot of us just, okay, what is he talking about? Just thinking, trying to understand. What is he talking about? The first 11 chapters of the Bible. And then he gets to chapter 12. And chapter 12 is, okay, you've, I've taught you all this. Now it's time to do something with it. It's time to go from head to heart. It's time to go from understanding to practicing everything that you have been taught. So he shifts from creed to conduct. He's, he's shifting from doctrine to duty. And, and really like, all of doctrine should result in action, right? The first two letters of doctrine is do, right? If you don't do from the doctrine you learn, then you're learning wrong doctrine. Doctrine requires us to move to action. It requires us to change uh, in, in, in what we think and what we believe. And we know that what you believe determines how you live, how you behave, all those kinds of things. So it's important to study doctrine in, in the essence of it should change everything about how you live. And so this is what Paul is saying here. So he starts off, he says, I appeal to you, brothers. It's like a dad pleading with his son. Like he cares for them. He's got a pastor's heart. He's pleading with his church, the church. He's saying, man, you, I want you to understand. I'm appealing to you, brothers. I want you to get this. I, I want you to, uh, your lives to honor the Lord. I want you to, to mark the world by how you live out your lives for the gospel. He's, he's challenging them to go all in, to be radically committed to Christ, to, to lay down their lives for the sake of the gospel. He's, he's pleading with them to make their lives count for something that matters, namely the gospel. And, and so he's pleading with them and, 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 and he's telling them that the motivation for their commitment to God, their total commitment, is the mercies of God. And he's, he's going to begin to explain them because if you look, he says, he's, that word therefore, uh, he's linking all the first 11 chapters with this passage. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, therefore what? Therefore, all the doctrine I just taught you, according to the mercies of God, is his next line. So he's saying all the first 11 chapters of Romans laid out for us the mercies of God. What were those mercies? Oh, well, okay. We didn't deserve a Savior. We didn't deserve to be saved. We deserved the contrary. We deserved hell. We deserved judgment. We deserved damnation. But we didn't get that. What we got was a way to be right before God. We got a way to be justified before the Father. We got a way to be freed from our sin. Romans 8.1 said, Therefore, uh, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How does one experience no condemnation? Oh, you earned it. No, you didn't earn it. I didn't earn it. We didn't earn it. What was it? It was the mercy of God. So all the doctrine of salvation, all the doctrine that he has laid out in the first 11 chapters, that how man is saved was the grace and the mercy of God. 
Even the fact that he sent his son, right? He sent Jesus to the world. He didn't have to do that. That's mercy from God. Jesus lived a perfect life. Mercy from God. He died on the cross for the sins of the believers. Mercy of God. He was risen from the grave. Mercy of God. He sits at the right hand of the Father. This is the mercy of God. All of this is God lavishing his mercies upon us. And so Paul is saying, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers... According to the mercies of God, everything we've studied, how God has just poured out his mercies on you. Look at it. It should require us. It, it, it demands us to live a life of total and radical commitment and obedience to the Father. And so he, he goes through this whole thing. And, 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 and he's laying a foundation to say... Everything that we do in our Christianity, everything that we do with our lives for the sake of the gospel, the foundation motivation for that is the mercies of God. Think about it. You move and act and live towards God. Why? Because he has done so much for you. And so you say, oh, man, God, I didn't deserve that. I didn't earn that. You poured out your mercies on me. Okay, I'm going to go and live out a life. For the sake of the gospel, I'm going to live my life to honor and, and, and to please you, Lord. Why? Because you have shown great mercy to me. That's what, that's what Paul is saying here. Now, I think it's important to, know, to note that Romans 12 uh, has more commandments in it than any other chapter in the Bible. He's going to tell us a lot of things to do, right? And, and, and a lot of ways to show mercy to men. But he starts with worship to God. Because we are not going to be able to show mercy to men unless we're founded on worship to God and we founded on the mercies that he has shown us. Then we're going to be able to show mercy to others. Romans 12. Uh, let me just read you some of these things. He says, show mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Give to the saints. Bless those who persecute you. Weep with those who weep. Associate with the lowly. Uh, repay no one evil for evil. Never avenge yourself. If your enemy is hungry, feed them. So he's saying build your lives. Be merciful to others. But the foundation of your mercy on others is because God has been merciful to you. So that is how you serve the world. If you try to be merciful to the world without knowing, without understanding that God has been merciful to you, that's how burnout happens. This is trying to serve without worshiping the Lord. This is trying to do and do and do and do without just being in the presence of God, just loving Him and worshiping Him. All of our service to the church, all of our uh, service to the world, all of our loving uh, our enemy, loving the world, all of it should flow out of God has been merciful to me, and I worship him. I, I'm lay, I, I love him because of all he's done for me, and that flows out of me to everyone else, my family, the world, the church, everyone else. And so that's what Paul uh, is saying here, and, and he's saying essentially our motive uh, for that is, is critical. I think it's very critical. It's, it's, it's very important for us to, to have our motivation right because I know, you know, a lot of times 
people come to church for all different kind of motivations, right? Uh, maybe you serve the Lord and your motivation is just trying to appease some kind of guilt, right? Like you messed up a long time ago and you're like, well, maybe if I go to church enough times or if I serve in the preschool, God will look over that, <laughs> right? That's a bad motivation, uh, to serve the Lord. It just is. That's not the motivation that God has established for you to, to serve Him. Uh, maybe another motivation is like, maybe if you're a single guy in here, you're trying to pick up chicks because chicks dig preschool workers. Okay, just letting you know. Uh, now, we do need you to serve in preschool, but that's a bad motivation, okay? Uh, that's a bad motivation. Although I will be very vulnerable with you and say, there for about six months when I was in high school, I was in the puppet ministry. My wife was also in the puppet ministry. Worst six months of my life. Okay. But I did get to hang out with her, so that was awesome. But a, a proper response for us is a gratitude out of the mercies of God. Um, several years ago, uh, there was a medical missionary with the Salvation Army named Captain Shaw. And he worked with a uh, leper colony in India. And uh, so he, he had this colony. He would work. He would, he would serve them and, and, and medical treatment, all those kinds of things. Well, uh, there were some... Uh, Police officers brought three guys, uh, and they were, they were uh, hardened criminals. They were, they were dangerous men. They, he brought them in, in handcuffs on their hands and their feet. And Captain Shaw said, hey, uh, release them. And the officer's like, are you, these are dangerous men. He goes, he insisted. He said, release them. So they, you know, uncuffed them, and, and uh, Captain Shaw started you know, nursing their wounds and treating their, 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 their disease and all those kinds of things. Well, it wasn't much later that Captain Shaw had to leave town. And he was worried about his family, leaving his wife and children in the same colony as these dangerous criminals. Well, Captain Shaw leaves anyway. The next morning, his wife opens the door. And here are those three criminals on her front porch. And obviously she's startled. And, and they say, Man, we, we knew that your husband uh, was leaving. And so we stayed here all night to make sure nothing bad happened to you and your children. Here are three men that were moved by the mercy of Captain Shaw, and it changed their life. This is the same picture of the believer. We work out of the mercy of God lavished on us. We didn't deserve all that we've been given, the blessings we've been given, our salvation that we've been given, but we've been given it. And we work out of the mercy of God, out of thankfulness for the mercy shown to us. This is the, the, the and this, this ideology is totally upside down from religion. Religion says you work hard to deserve and earn God to have mercy on you. If you're clean enough, if you're good enough, if, if, if you say the right things or say the right amount of prayers or you do the right incense or burn the right things, then God will have mercy on you. Or this deity, false deity, will have mercy on you. Christianity is the complete opposite of that. It says God has had mercy on you. Therefore, live your lives accordingly. In thankfulness for the mercy already shown to you. Live your lives in gratitude and in service of the mercy already shown to you. And then, and then Paul, he begins to use this analogy that the audience would have clued into. 
Now, we don't understand this uh, in our day uh, because, you know, we don't, you know, we don't see a lot of animals killed on the daily. But here's the deal. I'm I'm, uh, for our college ministry on Tuesday nights. I'm preaching through Leviticus. And uh, if you've ever read Leviticus, you know, Leviticus is the primary book that keeps people from reading through the Bible. Right? You get to Genesis and you're like, ah, that's not bad. It's pretty cool. Got some good things going on. You get to Exodus. You're like, ah, that's epic. You know, split the sea, like crashes down on Pharaoh. That rocks. And then you get to Leviticus. You're like, (laughs) you hit quick sand, right? Well, Leviticus is this whole deal of the sacrificial system. If you read through it, there's all these different offerings for all these different sins. And you're reading through Leviticus and they're like making offerings for accidental sins. They're making offerings for maybe they thought they could have possibly committed a sin. So let's have an offering. Basically the sacrificial system, there's there's blood everywhere. They're, they're making peanuts so ticked off. I mean, I mean, there's animals slaughtered everywhere. I mean, every single sin, you, you're just bringing these offerings uh, to the Lord on, on, on a regular basis. And so when he says this thing about being a living sacrifice, uh, the, the people would have clued in. They knew exactly what he was talking about when he's talking about this sacrificial system because they know they would bring an animal, they would slit the throat of this animal, they would offer it to the Lord as a burnt offering to atone for uh, their sins. And, 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 uh, and so they're going to get this picture. We don't get this picture. Maybe you've seen like National Geographic or something. There's some tribe making you know, sacrifices the false idols or something. But ultimately, we don't understand this, right? Our steaks come shrink-wrapped. <laughs> you know, like we don't see the cow killed. We just trust, all right, Publix has got it going on. Thank you for this steak, right? Our chicken comes in nuggets. You know, we don't have to wring its neck ourselves. This is, this is a picture that we don't get. But by saying living sacrifice, the, the, the community completely understood, okay, Okay, I know sacrifices, bringing this animal, slitting its throat, killing it, putting on the, on this altar. You, what do you mean by living sacrifice? What do you mean by sacrifice? And so Paul here, again, is laying a foundation that biblical Christianity is not half-hearted. It's not a, a one-hour-a-week commitment. It is wholesale all of you, your mind, your soul, your, your strength, your, your heart, every piece of you, your hands, your feet, every part of you given to the Lord. And, and, and so, and he gives this, this picture of sacrifices. And ultimately, we know Christ died for our sin. He laid himself down as the ultimate sacrifice for our sin, total commitment to free us uh, from our sins. So we know that, yes, salvation is free. But it ain't cheap for the believer to to come to Christ. It costs us everything. It's free. Salvation is offered to you. But it causes you to die to self. It costs you everything. Your ambition, what you spend your days on. And I I, I really think that uh, a lot of people in our culture would, would... would die for Jesus in the moment. If someone came in here and said, if you say you're a Christian, I'm, we're going to take your heads off. And a lot of us say, yes, I'm a Christian. We would die in the moment. But we have so much harder time living for him in the mundane. At work on Monday. Water cooler talk on Tuesday. When our kids are getting on our nerves on Thursday night. So it's so in our minds we can like yeah I'd die for Jesus but are you willing to live for Jesus? 
Are you willing to let your days count for the sake of the gospel? It's, and, and I think that's why he says it's a living sacrifice. Uh, as someone once said, living sacrifice has the temptation to often climb down off of that altar. And, and this is why he's saying, man, every day we have to come. We have to lay ourselves down at the altar. That's why Jesus said, he said, he who comes after me, he says, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. Daily taking up a cross. Daily laying ourselves down uh, and sacrifice uh, to the Lord. Why? Because we require a daily dying. We wake up. Every morning, wanting to live for ourselves. That's why we have to come to him every, every day and say, God, I, I'm laying myself before you. I, I want to live out my days for the sake of the gospel, the only thing that matters. I want to live my life and make it count for the gospel. So I want to be a living sacrifice uh, to you. And, and as you grow in your walk with the Lord, you, you become more and more aware of new ways uh, in which God is trying to sanctify you. This is called, in, in Scripture, you are justified, which is instantaneous, right? You are saved, you're made right before God, but you continue to walk in your life, becoming more and more like Christ every day. That's called progressive sanctification. And that will not end until we die. We are constantly uh, trying to live our lives looking more and more like Christ. J- just this week alone, I- I'm, I'm reading this book, and God shows me something in my own life that says, David, how you've been doing this, that is not right. That is sin, and you need to stop, and you need to repent, and you need to get your life right. And I, I said, okay. Like, I, I, I come, I, I'm, I'm sitting on the beach, I'm reading a book, and all of a sudden God punches me in the gut. And I'm like, oh, you're right. I, 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 I'm, and so here I come, and I was like, I'm climbing back on that altar. I want to die to myself. I want, I want Christ to live in me. I don't want to live out my days trying to appease my own flesh. I want to live and let Christ live in and through me. It's a progressive sanctification. So for all of us who claim to be Christ followers daily, we have to climb up on that altar. We have to die to ourselves, die to our selfish ambitions, die to anything that would not be Christ-centered. We have to lay ourselves down on the altar. And then notice Paul says, present your bodies. Present your bodies. This is all of you. Your eyes, your ears, your hands, your feet, your minds, everything about you. This term, present your bodies, it's, it's used as a, like a father presenting his virgin daughter to her husband. We, we are not our own. We are Christ. He has redeemed us. He has bought us. If you are a believer, you are not your own. You have been presented to God. You are His. So live your, let your body be lived for Him. How do we do that? I think he's talking about total worship, self, like your physical, your emotional, your spiritual, your relational, every piece of you. Like what you watch what you let your eyes see, uh, what you let your ears give listen to, uh, everything about you, what you set your hands to, what you 
do with your lives. Like everything, what jokes you are a part of, like everything that comes out of your mouth, your tongue, is, is it Ephesians 4.29, help uh, used to build others up? Uh, is it used to preach the gospel? Or is it more critical? Is it uh, every piece of our bodies should be offered to the Lord? Everything, everything we do with our life should be offered to the Lord as a sacrifice, as an offering, and it should be holy and pleasing uh, to Him. And so uh, we see, in other words, like we can't just say, because uh, the popular thing, I, give Jesus your heart. We, yeah, give Jesus your heart. But if you gave him your heart, it would come with all of your life. Every piece of it, every piece of your life would uh, be demanded by that. Then notice he says uh, the sacrifice is holy and acceptable. Uh, you know, one of the things I notice, if you read through the Old Testament, uh, not all the sacrifices were pleasing to the Lord. You know, a lot of people in our culture, we think, okay, if I just go to church enough times, if I do this, if I do this, if I do this, and God will be at peace. No, all throughout the Old Testament, he looks at them and says, I don't want your bulls. Stop sacrificing to me because you make sacrifices, but your heart is far from me. So your sacrifices are worthless. And, and, and so here again, he says, your sacrifice is holy and acceptable. And, 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 uh, and so he's saying, listen, our offering, all that we have to bring to him. Now, listen, in the Old Testament, they had to bring a spotless lamb, right, or a spotless animal. We're not going to be that, right? So looking at your life and thinking, well, yeah, God is lucky to have me. I'm going to be on his team and I'm going to serve him. No, you, we're all flawed and full of our own flesh and sin. We are all dependent upon Christ for his righteousness and for him to be changing us. So, so, uh, so then how then can our spiritual act of worship be holy and pleasing to him? It can be holy and pleasing uh, to him when we depend on him for our salvation and we serve him out of thankfulness for his mercies again. And, and so all of our life, everything we do is not to earn the favor uh, of God. It is, it is to be offered to him because of the favor he's already shown us. And so we we have these bodies, we have the tools, the blessings that he has given us, right? We breathe, we have arms, hands, legs, bodies. We've been gifted with certain giftings, whether that be, you know, maybe it's preaching or singing or business or whatever giftings the Lord has put on you, leadership, serving, uh, whatever giftings the Lord has put in you, he's given you those to be given back to him in worship. That's why he's given them to you in the first place. And so this is our spiritual act of worship. You know, that, spirit, that word spiritual can also be translated reasonable. This is our reasonable act of, of worship. Essentially, Paul is saying it makes sense that all the mercies that God has given you, and he's given you mercy. He's given you mercy after mercy after mercy after mercy after mercy after mercy. Then it's giving your whole life is the reasonable act of worship. It only makes sense. It's basically what Paul is saying. It's a no-brainer. If you realize all the fullness of the mercy that God has lavished on you, Scripture says he's lavished it upon you, then you would, no-brainer. Oh, yeah, okay, let me give everything of my life back to him. That's what Paul, uh, in essence, is saying here. And then what we notice the rest of Romans 12 is, out of that mercy flows, we're able to have mercy on 
other people. Because when we realize that we've been given that kind of mercy, then we can pour out to our families, our church, our community, to the nations. When we realize the mercies that has been poured out on us, we can give out. Right? All right, let's, let's finish out this. Uh, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So Paul here gives a positive and a negative command. You know, the first one he says, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of the world. Uh, So Jesus didn't die to leave us conformed to the world. He died so that we would be changed, that we would, that we would live out lives for the sake of the gospel, that we would be, uh, our lives would return to the purpose that we were made to begin with, that is to bring glory to God. So he died so that he would redeem us back to the original intent and purpose of our life, namely to bring glory to him. Now I know that we face tremendous pressures in the world to conform to the world. You, you face pressure every day. And, 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 and honestly, like churches all across America are feeling that same pressure. And there are a lot of churches that have given up the battle. They've said, guys, the, the principles in this Bible are too harsh. And, and if we continue to stick to this Bible, then the next generation is not going to have anything to do with Christianity. And I would say, if you don't stick to the principles of this Bible, the next generation will never hear anything of true Christianity. And so he's saying, do not conform to the world. The world and culture do not dictate the principles and the, and the scripture. They just don't. And that's true on a, on a church level, but it's also true on a personal level. Essentially, let's ask it like this. Does your family know that you are a believer? Or do you look no different from them? Does your neighbor know that you follow Christ? Or no? (laughs) Is there no difference between you and the world? That's what he's saying. He's saying, do not conform to the world any longer. Is there a difference between you who claims Christ and those who don't claim Christ? Now, it's not, it's not nonconformity for the sake of nonconformity. Like, it's not, uh, it's not like the Amish. Right, the Amish, they uh, they horse and buggy, wear dark clothes, make your own butter, uh, f- because they think, well, if we have iPhones, we're conforming to the world. No, that's just silly. That's not what this scripture is talking about. Down with iPhones. No, it's not. That's not what this is talking about. Uh, th- th- this is talking about how we conform our. Uh, uh, our hearts, quite honestly, what our lives look like. Because you, if you remember the text when Jesus says, it's not what goes into a man that defiles the man, but what comes out of the man. So is your heart changed? Is your heart think the same way a lost man's heart thinks? Like, do you live out your days? Does it flow out of your life? Do you look any different uh, than the world? Now, uh, I remember when I was in college, there would always be this street preacher that would come. I went to college in Knoxville. There's Brother Jeb or Jed or something. You could YouTube him. It's, it's quite hilarious. Uh, but he'd get on there and he goes, I, I remember uh, when I used to be a sinner. I remember I used to go to the movies. Huh? 
<laughs> like, so here's another guy preaching nonconforming to the world. It's just bogus. Okay, so dude, so you're telling me I go to, to Malco down here. I go to, you know, uh, the, the, the movie theater. I watch Zootopia and I got to repent? No, bro. You've got it mixed up. Like, that's not what not conforming to the world looks like. But a lot of times in our, in, especially in uh, southern church culture, we begin to, like, amplify these preferences over Scripture. Uh, you know, uh, for, I know Bible, you know, Bible Belt, it's no longer becoming Bible Belt anymore. But uh, southern culture, a lot of times it was uh, alcohol was a big issue. Right, if if you sniff the Heineken, you're going to hell. Right, right. Now smoking won't send you to hell; it just makes you smell like you just got back. Uh, right, and, but but man, if you got close to a you know a six pack, you're on your way. Right, and and, uh, and so so we we had you know if you grew up in, like uh, I I I also thought this way for the longest time until I started like studying through the scripture. Uh, but if you grew up in some kind of fundamentalist uh, background, you may still think this, you may still believe this, but ultimately, like, we can't take spiritual matters and impress them on things they were never meant to be impressed upon. Uh, and, and like, like, if you were Baptist growing up, you know, you didn't play cards, you didn't dance, because dancing might lead to other things, you, you know, and, and you didn't, you know, drink alcohol, right? And and so these are these are some of the things that you know that the church would say. No, you you're sin- now. Listen, you go to a Baptist church; they have no problem putting down that fifth chicken leg and chasing it with some dessert, right? But you come close to a you know a Yangling, and you're done, bro. And so here's some principles that even in our culture that we've we've taken. Do not conform to the world completely out of context. It is a heart issue. It's not what goes into a man to follow a man, but what comes out of him. So what is coming out of you? Does it look like the world? Does it look like the world? What comes out of you? Does it look like the world? And so that's what Paul is trying to express uh, in, in this passage here. And then he gives the positive. He says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This word is metamorphosis. It's the caterpillar turning into a beautiful butterfly. It is a radical change of all of you, your whole life. So when you came to Christ, it should have resulted in a, I look completely different today than I did then the things I love, the things my heart cares about, the things I'm going to pursue in my life looks radically different than what it did before Christ saved me. That's what he's, he's saying here. Be transformed. It's this radical change. And so the goal isn't just nonconformity. It's transformation. Transformation of the mind. Again, we don't look like the world. We look more and more like Christ every day. And I think it's important for us to transform our mind because as you think, therefore you act. Right. Um, let, let me read to you this. This is uh, Philippians 12 through 13 it says, therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work his good pleasure. So 
By the grace of God, he grows you into more and more obedience. He changes your mind. He transforms your mind. He, he begins to change how you think and therefore how you act and how you behave and how you live. This is why studying doctrine is so important because as God uses that study of doctrine in the Bible and, and time in his presence to change you, it changes how you lead your family and how you uh, work at your job and how you are a mother and father and how you are a son or daughter. It changes you entirely. This is a uh, transformation of the mind, this progressive sanctification. Sanctification. Uh, when you started your Christian life, you repented, right? That was part of the process of coming to Christ. Faith and repentance. Repentance is a Greek word that just means to change your mind. To change your mind. You thought one way, now you think another. You thought you used to love your sin, now you hate your sin. You used to hate God, now you love God. It's a repentance. It's a changing of your mind. How you think. And that changes how you live your life. How you... Uh, see everything in your world uh, in your world and that's why also it's so important for us who claim Christ to be saturated in the bible to be saturated in the word the the psalmist says this i've hidden your word in my heart that i might not sin against you i've hidden your word in my heart that i might not sin against you we have to be people that are constantly going to uh, listen <laughs> this living sacrifice thing this this Climbing on the altar every day, dying to self. It is the daily acknowledgement to God. God, I might be wrong. I've got a way in my mind that I think is right. And scripture all throughout the Old Testament it says, hey, there's a, there's a way that is right in a man's own mind. And that way leads to destruction. So I'm scared every day of, God, I don't want my way to be the way I live by. I want to live by your way. Because I know if left to my own way, I'm going to lead to be led to destruction. So I come, we come every day to the word, presence of God. And we say, God, I might be wrong. And how I'm living and how I'm parenting and how I'm a husband or a mother or, or a wife. Or, 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 or I might be wrong. So correct me. Teach me your way. I value your way above what I might think is right. So when we come to God daily, we, that's why it's so important for us to come daily. Because we say, God, I might just be wrong in how I'm thinking. I might be wrong. My flesh might have convinced me. My heart, you know, the scripture says our heart is, more, most, is deceitful. It will deceive us. So we come to God every day and say, hey, I'm living in this flesh. My heart and my flesh may, may fail, may deceive me. So I'm coming to you. Show me. How, I, how I've been living according to my way, not your way. Show me how I can be more like Jesus. Show me. I'm climbing up on the altar. I'm dying to myself. I want to come up off of this altar with Christ living in me and through me. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying, guys, all the mercies of God result in us living lives for him and to him. And it's a daily grind. It's a daily pursuit. It's a daily dying to self. It's climbing up on the altar every day. It's a not conforming to the world, but transforming by the renewing of our mind, which I, I, I think is, is very important because, again, how you think is how you live. Like if I told you you were sinning, you, you've lived your whole life and you found out you were sinning, 
What would you think about that? I mean, you didn't know it was sin. You didn't believe it to be sin. Then you come to find out the last 20 years you have been committing a sin that you didn't know was a sin. How would you feel about that? Now, a lot of people would say, well, ignorance is bliss. I didn't know because I'm not studying the Scripture every day. But you need to understand, just like in Leviticus, in Leviticus, they offered sacrifices for sin that they committed accidentally and sins that they made... I might have committed a sin, so I'm going to do a sacrifice. In the same way, ignorance is not bliss. Our ignorance for sinning still demands a cross. This is why we as believers say, I don't want anything to do with sin, whether it's something I know or something I don't know. So I have to continue to come to the Lord for him to show me the sin that I want to run so badly from. So I want to lay my life on the altar I want him to work on me every day. And listen, this is why I encourage you to, to, yes, read your Bible, spend time with the Lord, but also get your hand on some good uh, books, some, some good books to read for the sake of your spiritual growth. Read, listen to some other sermons. I can give you some. Okay, don't just listen to anybody. No Joel Osteen, Joyce Meyer, none of that garbage. I want you to listen to good stuff, okay? I want you to listen to stuff that will edify you and grow you in the Word. So here, come to me and I'll tell you some good ones to listen to that, that will edify you and grow you and, and help you begin to change how you think. To submit yourself under the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God so that you might be transformed. So that your mind might be transformed according to the Word. And so that you might live lives that are holy and pleasing to Him. That's what Paul is getting at here. He, 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 he's saying, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of the world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now I want to give you two more verses in closing. Just as encouragement and challenge to you. Paul these, these two verses are Paul later on in the New Testament, a couple other, uh, of his other letters. In Philippians 1.20, Paul says this, As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. My encouragement slash challenge to you is, can you say that? Can, is can you say with full conviction, it's my eager expectation and hope now as always that Christ will be honored in my body, in, whether by life or by death? Is that your hope? Is that your desire? Or First Corinthians 6, the back half of 19 and 20 is, is an encouragement to you. Paul says, you are not your own. For you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Everything about your life should be poured out for the glory of God. Everything. Your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, your hands, your feet, your mouth, your eyes, your ears. Everything about your life. Poured out for the glory of God. Now, I know, I know what we're thinking. There are many of you like, man, that's crazy. That's just radical. That's those people who take this too seriously. No, this is eternity. This is the truth of the Scripture. Those aren't my words. Those are Paul's words. So let, let, let us be gripped by the Scriptures and say, okay, 
I want to daily lay down my life as a living sacrifice to him, no longer conforming to the world, but being transformed by the renewing of my mind, letting the Holy Spirit move me to look more and more like Jesus every day, to love like him, to show mercy like him, to to boldly preach the gospel like him, to look like him every day. That's what we desire as a church, as a body. Let's pray together. Father, we um, would you just continue to work in us a dependency upon you and, and just open our hearts and minds and eyes to the truth that we need you not just daily, but moment by moment by moment. And Father, that left to our own devices, left to our own thoughts and our own ways, we would quickly head towards destruction. So would you move in us that we would live according to your ways, not our own way. That we would live according to your scripture, not cultural mandates or popularity. And Father, that we would view your mercies as they've been lavished out on us. And out of that appreciation and thankfulness, that we would give our lives for the sake of the gospel and Christ being made beautiful among all nations. I pray, Father, that you would continue to show us the ways in which we are conforming to the world and the ways in which we need to be transformed. Begin to show us the ways that we and the things that we need to die to. Maybe that'd be sin. Maybe that'd be selfish ambition. Maybe that'd be just doing nothing. Whatever it is, I pray, God, that you would just begin to open our minds and our hearts to the things that we need to lay on the altar, living sacrifice that we need to kill, and that we could rise up off of that altar, living for Christ, Christ living in us. Help us, Father, just to be very evaluative of our own hearts and souls and minds and lives so that we can be a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing, acceptable to you. We need you, Father. Illuminate the things in our heart. that are keeping us from being that living sacrifice. In Christ's name we pray, amen.